This is Inside the Lens, a podcast for photo geeks that really like to drill down into specific topics. Uh, it could be color science. It could be the ethos of photography today. It could be legal battles. It could be struggles of us being business owners and how photography stays relevant in society. There are so many topics that we cover. This one is going to be one of my absolute favorites. Uh, it's around 3D photography, but really it's about this wonderful technology called Light Field. Um, and, and that is an overarching name uh, of, of this. Uh, it's proprietary, I suppose. It's uh, we're, I have on the line with me right now somebody that I'm so pleased to be speaking with, uh, David Fatal, if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, he is one of the founders of Leia Inc., and he's their CEO. And uh, it's great to be here with you, David, to talk about this light field technology that you are bringing to the market. Hey, great, Don. For, thanks for uh, having me on your podcast. I'm so delighted to be here to talk to your, to your crowd out there. <laughs> my, my pleasure. And uh, I mean, the, the honor is mine because I was first introduced to, uh, to your technology when I saw that uh, Red was coming out with a smartphone. And I have, and I, I love the Red Hydrogen One, which used, uh, it's got lit by Leia on, uh, on, on the back of it. So I, that's, that's your brand on, on that type of technology. Um, before we get into that kind of stuff. What is light field technology? So there's, there's many ways to, uh, let's say, define a light field from a scientific perspective. But from a user standpoint, in terms of the experience, what I like to describe it as is, is depth plus light. And, and I'm going to explain a little bit. So uh, when you experience a light field, you have a natural sense of immersion, of 3D immersion. So you see, you see depth literally from, from a screen. Um, but beyond just the depth, you're going to have a feel for materials and textures and lights because what a light field is able to do is to send different amount of light in different direction of space and therefore reproduce the way that light is going to naturally reflect off or diffuse off surfaces. Um, and that's a very unique medium, the only medium that I know that can actually do that. Um, and this is why it's such a big deal. And that's why, you know, I uh, think when I compare light field to 3D, right? This is how I make the distinction. You know, light field is the depth that you had in 3D, but also with this light treatment that comes on top. And that's so important for photography, for retail and, you know, other other things. Well, and, and to, to draw a comparison to 3D, I mean, 3D photography has existed for a, a very long time. I mean, I, I have a, an antique stereoscope here in my hand from 1867. I mean, this is not a new concept to, to breach the barriers of two dimensions and jump into a third. And it's been something that I think has been explored a lot, but not recently Partly because, well, I, I should say the most recent exploration of it was 3D televisions, which made you wear glasses the entire time. Um, and I believe they were on the cusp of going glassless uh, before the bottom fell out of that particular market. Uh, based on uh, patents filed from some of the big people and so on and so forth. So um, your technology wasn't the 3D TV, uh, TV stuff. It, it was not uh, the lenticular displays. And I've actually made some fun lenticular prints that you can either do an animation or you can see it from different angles when you're viewing it on a different angle because you have this prism. It only works in one direction, right? Like you, if you turn it sideways, well, the, the entire thing is broken. And um, I, I do remember seeing at least one lenticular display uh, smartphone from a couple of years, uh, well, more than a couple of years back now. And it didn't do so well on the market. 
because, well, that technology, it's not really adapted to uh, our just general, like holding up a device and seeing anything in 2D just perfectly fine. And then in 3D, if it happens to be in, well, of course, it's not 3D, it's light field, the way that you're displaying it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I could, I, I want to get some more details on that in a minute. Um, but how did this all start? Because Leia as a company was founded a few years before any products uh, came to market. So you had ideas, you had concepts, maybe there was some scribbles on the back of a napkin of some uh, physics plans that might eventually be able to become a product or at least a patent. How'd you get started? Yeah, so it all started from uh, our time at uh, HP Labs, actually. So a few of us, uh, you know, who uh, went on to uh, to found Leia were actually uh, researchers at uh, Hewlett Packard Laboratories in, in Silicon Valley. And we were expert at the time of uh, light manipulation at, at the nanoscale. So I myself was researching quantum computing with, with light, literally uh, producing photons one at a time, and then uh, bouncing them together and try to do computation with that. So, so that's okay. I, you just we have to go down <laughs> this rabbit hole. Uh, what? As much of it as you can talk about, anyhow. I, I, this is a lot of research stuff. But what was the goal of that? What were you trying to figure out? So, when you can control light at a nanoscale, wonderful things happen. It, it's it's really akin to magic, right? And I think my my personal passion, you know, in in life is to use physics to make magic. That's my that's my motto. So when you're in the quantum realm, first of all, um, uh, you know, this is much easier to do magic, as you know, than in, than in our, our day-to-day, right? Because the way that particles and light behave uh, when, you know, you are on that scale is just completely uh, crazy. You can go through walls, right? You can take a 180-degree turn, you know, without, like, bouncing, you know, on, on a mirror, for example, um, and so um, really, really the, the, way, uh, the way that we looked at things was uh, when you have light, you know, that is able to propagate in these nanometer size uh, wires or structures uh, and able to interact, they're going to interact in, in ways that have no uh, so-called classical equivalent. And you can actually use that for, um, for, for, for computation. And so that's the, the basic of a, of a quantum computer which can perform some computation exponentially faster than uh, what is available on a traditional computer. Right? I, so that was I a long time quantum, ago. Yeah. Well, <laughs> true. <laughs> I, and I know that quantum computers are commercially available from a number of outfits uh, right now, although their features are, are limited. They can't do what a regular computer can do at the current state of that technology. Um, before we get back to this Leia stuff, I had no idea you were studying uh, <laughs> uh, quantum mechanics of light at HP. So um, just in your opinion, uh, where do you think quantum computing is going to go within the next five years? Uh, how how far are we away from a breakthrough that really changes things? Yeah, so I have my personal opinion on this, and the fact that I didn't continue quantum computing give you a, give you a hint, you know, and I went into holographic <laughs> displays. But you know, to be fair, that that research on quantum uh, was uh, in the early two thousand, and and you know, back then. Uh, we all had the feeling that nothing significant was going to happen in the field, you know, practically, uh, you know, in the, you know, w- within 25 years, right? So, so that was, let's say, year 2001, 2002. And, you know, we're in 2020, so now things are different, right? Uh, but, but back then it felt, you know, a little bit, a little bit too remote. Yeah, f- f- fast forward, you know, to, uh, to this state that you see uh, all of the big companies, uh, you know, having invested in uh, essentially... Uh, all the researchers, you know, that were uh, that were already uh, in action 20 years ago, uh, except that now they work for these big companies that have a lot of money to actually push things through for for application. 
Uh, one thing you have to know with quantum computers, it's a little bit, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle because every time you're adding a, a bit of quantum memory, um, the computer is going to get twice as powerful, roughly speaking. Uh, so it seems like, you know, yeah, every time you add one, you know, it's going to, at some point you're going to win. The problem is it's exponentially harder, you know, to add the next bit of memory, of quantum memory, it gets twice as hard as, as for the last one. So it's, you know, you see this kind of, uh, of, of uh, let's say, technological battle, and it's very hard to predict uh, when you're going to be able to do uh, something which is actually useful, such as, you know, uh, maybe compute or predict a protein folding, you know, problem or, you know, a crack, a, a crack a, let's say, an RSA a code, you know, for a... Uh, for security yeah but we're getting closer to it we we are getting uh, closer and uh, my computers here are running folding at home from stanford university which i have been doing for since the inception of that project and and that's meaningful research but it happens real slow on traditional computers um so anyhow that 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 aside has been taken care of thank you for indulging me but uh the you mentioned holographic displays and so there's a lot of terms that get thrown out there's uh stereoscopy you know when you've got like a vr headset and you have two different screens for each eye uh you have lenticular displays you have a traditional hologram you have your light field technology um is it synonymous with holographic uh, uh terminology or is it something separate yeah, have to be very careful when you talk about the topic because you have the purist, right? And then you have the consumer, right? And what a hologram means to consumer is very different from what it means to uh, a physicist. And I'm a physicist, so I think I can talk for, for, for both. Yeah? Um, so I think let's start from the consumer point of view. I would define broadly a hologram as an object made of light, okay? I, you know, very broad, right? So, um, and I think the, uh, let's say the consumer have adopted that terminology when you see a two-pack concert with with essentially a pepper's ghost which is which is just a mirror right it's just it's just a mirror and some and some smoke right well uh, I, I, you and know. you say you know this this ghost trick is ancient i mean th this uh i don't know if it predates photography i can't remember the original date it was used but it is a really old magic trick yes absolutely and and you know in the end, you know, the uh, all that matters is the experience, right? So people are experiencing some kind of some kind of light trick, some kind of object made of light, and it makes them believe that you know you have a, a presence, and you know it's uh, it's it's something that that people enjoy and that looks magical, and you know it's that you know who who are we to uh, to judge, right? Um, on the other end of the spectrum, when you talk about holography, this should involve some kind of coherent light, like like a laser. Uh, coherent light means that uh, light is, you know, keeps some kind of uh, keeps track of, you know, uh, let's say a, a clock cycle uh, as it as as it propagates. It, it remembers exactly what happened before and what happened, you know, just before. And it's able to interfere. It's able to uh, split into half and then recombine and cancel, uh, you know, uh, cancel. Uh, let's say the, its propagation in certain direction and not in others. Um, so this issue of, of of coherence is supposed to be critical. Um, and it involves some kind of a, a, some kind of an interference pattern, right? Some kind of a place where your laser light is going to uh, interact with nanostructure and, and produce some kind of, you know, let's say, strange effect 
uh, as, as, as a result, right? Well, um, and, and I'm sure you know of, of other technology um, that is currently at play right now. Sony has just announced that they have what, what their, uh, I, I forget, it, it wasn't a, a holographic display by their terminology. Um, and then you have people like uh, Looking Glass that are making products as well in this space. And they're all using vastly different technology. I, I, nobody can see me holding up a Looking Glass device right now. It's, it's this massive chunk of stuff. I would never want a tablet or a phone or any portable display to be made of this technology. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with this if you're in this space. How does this stuff differ uh, from the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, so there surprisingly most of these technologies uh, that you that you name work on the same principle it's actually one way or another it's some type of lenticular uh, display right so it's some type of it's some type of uh, lenses uh, layer optical lens layer that you put on top of a normal display the lens is going to take light from different pixels and collimate it meaning you know make parallel rays in a certain direction of space the direction is going to change depending on the position of the pixel, right? So this is essentially a way to take uh, to take a light from a display and sending different images from different pixel into different direction of space, which which is which is what a light field is 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 all about, and this is also what the layer display is doing. So there's there's a wide variety of displays that that, that do it. Um, the difference between uh, Sony and uh, Looking Glass is that Sony is using eye tracking very fast. And they are only using uh, two views. They are just sending the left and, and the right eye. Essentially, they have, they have more views to start with, but they, they compound them together to create like a super view. Uh, and they send that to your left eye. And then they take the other half of the views and they send it to your, uh, to your right eye. And in order to get uh, something to, to display on the looking glass um, from, uh, I, I'm a, a fan of uh, stereoscopic 3D photography, have been for a while. That's why I've got these antique stereoscopes and, and some of these uh, vintage ways of viewing things, which still work really well. Um, but you do kind of look like a, a, a dork or a hipster when you're trying to use that kind of technology or show it off to people. They're like, yeah, what century are you in? So... Uh, for the looking glass, I would have to create a depth map uh, from my, my stereo uh, image pair. And that depth map, and I can do that. There's a lot of software out there. Uh, even Leia, we're going to talk about some of your uh, software programs out there that interpret information as well um, before it's even able to display the content. And in the past, I had to, I had to go through... Um, uh, 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 stereo photo maker and uh, with a plug-in for that and mm -hmm. just go through all these bells and whistles to make a depth map and, mm -hmm. and have that with the uh, original images and display that on a device. And that is such a barrier to entry that no one is going to do that. Um, yeah. And well, at least nobody on a consumer level, it's not convenient. Um, so with your tech, I, I personally find it very convenient. And, and I want to go back, I guess, to the first iteration of this technology that ended up in the red hydrogen one smartphone. Um, and I know that you probably can't, you, you don't speak about red, because uh, you are not red, but it, it is your tech that, that is in that device. And um, I love this phone, by the way, uh, I think that it was one of the most fantastic, durable phones, aside from the fingerprint scanner constantly failing, which they fixed right before the end. Um, but the the idea of, of having a display that looked like a flawless 2D display, 
you know there, there was no real hint about it that it w was was 3d if you're looking at just browsing the web or your social media channels or taking pictures um, but then when you had the option to view things in 3d uh, you know, usually with special apps or, uh, you know, with the photos that you've taken. And of course, there's an app for that. Um, then it's in 3D. And that, I think, that's the real key to make the 3D, the, the light field technology, whatever the depth beyond a, a, a two dimensional display. If you can make that ubiquitous, if you can make that just like it's, it's, you, you never need to look at it if it's not, if you don't care about it it's just a little line on the spec sheet of, of mm -hmm. something that you're buying and then it's there and if somebody's creating genuinely good content for it uh then it's a success and so i i'm i was so thrilled to see that it wasn't red that was making the display um, that it was a third party that could make their own products, which we'll mm -hmm. talk about in a minute, uh, that could license it to other uh, companies uh, in, in order for it to appear in different places. So obviously, there are patents involved that you have and other people have it in different ways. You know, we're talking Sony looking glass, etc. Um, that are doing this stuff. And uh, so from the red hydrogen, um, you started, I believe, at the beginning, like, you had to create your own basically app store uh, to, to have products and, and software available that could utilize the technology uh, and a social media platform that was once called Holopix that is now called Leapix. Mm -hmm. um, and so describe to us what your vision is, I suppose, when you started to see what Red was doing with their product and how you knew that that proprietary interface really shouldn't be locked to a singular device. If I'm putting, I don't want to be putting words in your mouth there, but um, you did have your branding on on a lot of these app store stuff right from the beginning. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, before uh, before hydrogen, we were actually a nanotechnology company, right? So uh, you know, all of the all of the effort to to develop the display, um, you know, I said we we started at HP. You know, we developed all of the nanotechnology there. Not only the nanotechnology, but the means of mass manufacturing the nanotechnology. At a cost which is which is very decent, you know, which allow us to sell our product at at at, at finite cost, you know, versus um, you know maybe a, a augmented reality headset or you know or, or the like. Um, and so we were a nanotechnology company, uh, and when we started, uh, I think to uh, to work with Red, uh, you know, we realized that you know we had to invest massively into uh, the content and the content ecosystem, and that very frankly, when we started to interact with early user, we realized that. You know, not the technology, but the people were going to be the key to making that, you know, call it light field ecosystem work. So, you know, we 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 changed uh, as a company. We, you know, in, in about two years, we went from purely nanotechnology to a company that has about 50, 50, you know, 50 percent of hardware and 50 percent of software content, uh, you know, SDK tools and, and, and support for the for the for, for the ecosystem. And yes, we identify some key apps. Uh, and some key features that we thought are, were going to be indispensable uh, for users or to making sure that a user can create their content, uh, which again is, is very important, right? Instead of having to feed them with, 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 with pre-planned content, you can only make so much of that. Uh, being, you know, every user able to author, create, convert, capture content, this is going to be the key. So this is why first we had, uh, you know, we made, uh, we made the, the, the App Store, 
Really, the story behind the App Store is the SDK, the Software Development Kit, that allow every developer to take their Unity project, their Unreal project, their Blender animation, their Maya animation, uh, and, and create very easily you know, uh, a light field experience that is going to be compatible with a display, and then put it out there on the App Store for, for everybody to see. Right? So uh, you can give it out for free, or you, know, you can actually sell it. Right? So it's kind of a marketplace. That was that was that was the, the you know the basic thing right so this is what what the company you know uh, frankly rushed to develop uh, as we started to work with uh, with Red so that we made sure there was something to do on that phone um, and then we identified the photography right we identify uh, taking 3D picture uh, was going to be super addictive uh, and we wanted uh, to create a place for people to share right their their experience. Um, and I know this for a fact. We had a very early prototype of the phone, the very first one that had a stereo camera. Uh, I remember going with my uh, co-founder, Pierre. Uh, we went to uh, San Francisco, ferry building, you know, marketplace. And then we started to take this picture. And it was, you know, we spent, I actually never take picture with my phone. And I happened to spend five hours, you know, just, you know, oh, these lemon look great. Look at this sign. Look at this fountain. Look at this kid. Look at, and, you know, we were just, just like, you know, this this it was something new it was something new that kind of you know experience it was a new challenge you know it was just new rules of composition picture that would have looked you know very dull and 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 stupid you know starting to take a life on their own so you know we said okay we we need we need to take that excitement and we need to to let people share and that was the that was the idea behind holopix which as you you know we just changed the name to layapix uh but that was that was really the that was really the thing um, so wherever we see an opportunity, you know, that is going to be uh, a game changer to enable a new, uh, let's say, piece in the ecosystem, I think we, we, we step in and we, we, we've tried to step in, you know, to, 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 to do that. There, there are a number of organizations out there, uh, the International Stereoscopic Union and uh, the National Stereosco uh, Stereoscopic um, Association. Uh, those are two organizations that have a like a, a strong burning desire uh, to share 3D content and are passionate about 3D content, and and that that boils back to like the probably the 1950s is where it was really really popular. Uh, so much so that even companies like Leica, which shares your name plus a letter, um, uh, had made a, a stereo 3D lens uh, for their uh, uh, their Leica threes and their M series rangefinders. Uh, that has always had a passionate value, but the passion back then was not immediately serving because you could shoot something in 3D. You have no idea if it actually worked until you developed the film and threw it through a projector. And it was a convoluted and complicated process. And yet still, it developed a, a passionate following then. And so when I was able to show people like photos of my daughter on, on the hydrogen that I had taken with the phone, and I, I don't prep them by saying it's going to be in 3D, and I just show it to them, and mm. they're like, whoa, that's <laughs> what, what am I seeing here? Because uh, she's like on a swing and she's jumping out. And, and so like there's, uh, there's moments where that technology was really powerful, but um, it can be seen as, as a bit of a gimmick. You, you mentioned um, rules of composition right? That, that changes. You cannot simply take uh, a 2D image in 3D and have it be more meaningful, right? You have to, uh, you have to compose with X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. uh, you, ha you have to make sure that you are creating a composition that is beholden to the format, 
Uh, and there were some examples that I had done early on that fail miserably as, as 2D images. Uh, but when you add depth information to that, there's a photograph that I had, uh, I, I grew frost on an orchid because who doesn't want to do that? And uh, it, it looked like a chaotic mess of, of nothingness. But uh, as soon as you saw it in 3D, all of the patterns and the lines took form. And that, I think, is, is one of those key missing ingredients when you're trying to create content on these devices is you cannot create it the same way Correct. that you would on any other regular device. You have to be cognizant of the format itself that the majority of photographers today don't see people walking around with 3D cameras. And that becomes a, um, uh, a, a not a barrier to enjoyment, uh, but a barrier to knowing about it, right? Uh, to having the idea that this is actually a thing that I can do and that I have to do it differently without any training or any background knowledge whatsoever. Some people can just kind of get frustrated or pass on a device like this without fully flushing out its capabilities. Um, so I guess this is a hard question for you to answer because you're in this space that is, you know, there's multiple players now coming up with new technology, but how do you convert people from enjoying 2D content to creating their own 3D content and how are you making that uh, useful? And, and my follow-up question will be the difference between uh, 3D and uh, 4V, uh, which I want to get to as well. But let's start with the idea of content creation. Yeah, so... Yeah, so you know, it, it always it always goes through uh, getting as many devices in the hand of people, you know, as possible. And and you know, when you don't have enough devices in the hand of people, it's word of mouth, right? So that's why we're trying to do uh, some PR. That's why you know we're trying to have some 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 YouTube, you know, uh, influencers, you know, talk about the technology and so on and so forth. Um, the um, you know this is this is frankly also why we uh, started to look at making our our own device, right? Because it can be. Uh, it can take some time to uh, find, you know, the right partner, uh, like like Red, you know, who is willing to take a brand new technology, uh, a brand new ecosystem, a brand new marketing, a brand new way of talking about technology. It's actually, you know, few, few, it adds up, right? So it might it might take a while. It might even for the uh, for the you know big companies out there, it might take a while. So uh, what we try to do is show is show by example, right? It's show show by example. Um, uh, this is, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about, uh, you know, our latest device, you know, a little bit later, but, you know, being able to, to, to push this to uh, key influencers, you know, photographers, uh, videographers and so on and so forth. Um, and, and to be frank, you know, trying to identify at the beginning, it's about ident identifying the right niche of people, you know, the already the 3D enthusiast. Um, there's, there's a, a new community that we're going to target soon is the, is the drone community. Uh, we find a very good way. Uh, to take a drone footage, uh, you know, classic drone footage with a 2D camera, nothing fancy there. Um, and if you take, if you put the drone in an orbiting motion around a point of interest, we can take that footage and in real time uh, or offline, but even in real time, we can actually populate the different views of the display with different uh, position of the drone, you know, at different times. And essentially, we use the drone as a, as a multi-view camera uh, with extended baseline, the baseline can be as large as you want. It's just limited by the uh, by the motion of the drone, and this has created the most beautiful light field content uh, that I have seen. Uh, and on 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 massive scale, we can take mountains. You know, we can take you know entire uh, you know entire buildings, entire cities, and 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 you know bring bring the 3D out of them. But not only the 3D, but we can capture it 
at sunset, you're going to capture a light flare. And this is where the light field versus the 3D is going to come into play, where you're going to see all the beauty of how light is going to actually enter uh, your, uh, your lens or your multi-lens uh, and, and, and re-render that beauty on, on, on the display. And of course, then we communicate on that, and you know it has to be, it, you know, it has. We have to do the the hard work and then do the marketing and, and so on, and that's what we're we're set out to do. Well, and that, that's all. Well, I'm I'm kind of giving you my soapbox here for this because I, I'm I'm just enthralled by this tech. And you mentioned drones, and I hadn't even thought of uh, of having because they are so uh, programmable to to have a very set field of view. Like whether you're rotating around a scene. We're just going from one point to another point in in the sky for a stereoscopic pair. It's really easy to do that with, with a drone if if you know that the end result is going to be captivating. And I I remember seeing I think it was uh, when the Empire State Building was was being built in in New York. Uh, somebody took a photo from either ends of it pointing down at the city, and the end stereographic view looked like the entire city of New York was a little diorama. Mm-hmm. And that is such a cool, uh, cool perspective that, that the hyper stereo stuff. And I do a lot of macro work with uh, hypo stereo, uh, you know, with a, a pupil distance that is closer than human vision with specially designed lenses, uh, two lenses in the same barrel for my digital SLRs and, uh, and they split the sensor down. Uh, halfway. And in those perspectives, it can be really dramatic. Um, but one thing that was interesting to me, and I see it on your uh, your new de- device, the Loom Pad, which I really want to dig into soon. We're burying the lead, but we're going to get there. Um, but also on, on the hydrogen is uh, the two cameras are fairly close together. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that has to do with, uh, you know, battery constraints and internal design, uh, you know, considerations because, you know, you can't have two separate camera modules on either side and then you get this really weird contorted battery or a really small one. Uh, and then that compromises the design of the device. Um, and so at first I thought, eh, I'm skeptical of that, but I didn't find any skepticism when I actually saw it working, which I think has to do... Uh, with the difference between just a classical 3D experience and the 4V experience, uh, which has created some artifacts in some of my images because the antique uh, stereo macro lenses that I use actually have a slight bit of convergence uh, on them. And so, you know, th- there's a lot of wild card data that mm-hmm. is very hard to interpret if you don't know what you're specifically looking for. Um, but if you do know what you're looking for and you've got the camera designed specifically for that, you can actually push the depth further than would normally be realized uh, from the two perspectives. A- a- am I correct in stating that? Yeah, that, that's correct. And we have a lot of questions about this. Even people just seeing the, the picture of the, the hydrogen or the, or the, or the loom pad, they, they see the, the small baseline of the camera and, you know, they call us all kind of names, you know, why on earth would you do something like that? And, you know, um, you know, the, uh, there's, there's several answers to this. Yeah. First of all, when you are trying to, uh, put, you know, technology on, on a mobile device, uh, you are constrained by the, uh, by the, the, let's call it the motherboard. You know, you're right. The battery takes most of, of the device. You know, you don't have the, the choice to put the cameras, you know, wherever you want. So I think you have, this is, this is the major constraint. Um, but what we're doing, you know, with the Leia ecosystem is we use heavily computer vision, uh, to synthesize novel views from, uh, the stereo pair. And so this means that you start with, you know, a certain interocular. And then we can move, you know, anywhere, anywhere on that line. We can we can create a view that is in between the original pair, or we can create views that are outside of the original pair. 
Um, the way that it works is we use novel uh, AI. We use novel deep learning techniques that weren't there three years ago. You know that that are only in the, the you know couple of last years have been developed. Uh, very precisely in this case, we train a network on uh, stereo, you know, a bunch of, of stereo pictures. And the more stereo pictures we feed, uh, like, you know, uh, what we receive on Holopix, the better it gets. So the better you interact with our ecosystem, the better the ecosystem is getting. I think that's the idea. Um, very specifically, um, you know, just in two words, if you, you train a network to, uh, to go from the left image to the right image, right? So imagine you have an algorithm that says, I have, I have, I have the left image, and I, from the right image, I can compute some kind of a depth map, and I'm going to try to displace, I'm going to try to generate the right view from the left. I'm going to move the pixels, and I'm going to try to teach it that. I have a point of reference. I can compare the image that I moved from the left to the right to the original right frame, and I can compute some kind of error there, and then I can use training to minimize that error. And then if you do that over a very large number of pictures with a large variety of, you know, of, of composition uh, in the scene, and then you end up, you know, having a, a damn good uh, computer vision algorithm. Uh, this is what we use in both the hydrogen and, and, and the loom pad that allows you to shrink the depths. It's very useful to shrink the depths when you have, you know, you don't want things to blow up on the display. Uh, but it might be useful, as you say, also to increase the depth, right? When, you, uh, when you're taking a picture from far away, uh, the, the natural depth uh, captured by the small uh, interocular of the camera is going to be small, and you can, you can enhance that uh, with the computer vision. And um, uh, in fact, in, in some of your apps, like uh, Holopix, or uh, now Leopix, um, you have the ability to choose the amount of depth um, that you want uh, the person to, uh, to, to be viewing uh, that image at. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been using that app uh, for quite some time, since the beginning of the hydrogen era. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a loom pad right here that I was one of the first people uh, to pre-order it. And, uh, and I, I just love the way it displays some of my weird things. 3D image concepts. And this one actually, uh, I noticed it, and I never noticed it on the hydrogen, but I noticed that there's a very slight uh, artifact around, because this is such a strange image. This one is a crystal ball and a tree. You know, talk about the weirdness of depth and detail and separation of subjects. Um, and I'll, I'll put a, a link to, uh, uh, to to this image in, in, a, in a 2D and a 3D form in the show notes. Um, but uh, that technology, it, it's because it's constantly learning, it's never going to be perfect. It's always going to be adapting and changing. And, mm -hmm. uh, and if, it, if that photo was actually taken on one of your devices, it would probably have fewer artifacts than if I'm just trying to randomly feed in Correct. stuff. And, and I remember early on in, uh, in the, the Holopix uh, saga, uh, I, I wanted to throw in images that were, that were, like not just taken with my phone. I had a, a, a catalog of some really cool 3D images that I had done previously, mm -hmm. and I wanted to, to get those into the platform. So I, I hacked it, um, and basically what I did is, is I, and, and this is, uh, I, I'm not going to do this again, and it's, uh, it was, well, it was painful, uh, and it was probably less productive, and you've got better ways to do it now. But what I had done back then is I used uh, software tools to pull all of the metadata out and see mm -hmm. how the original versions of the uh, the H4V files at the time had uh, had an embedded. I, I forget which one was the primary image, if it was left or right eye, but but the other eye's image was embedded in metadata, mm -hmm. um, and and so this was actually a great design because you could take a, a, a an image with depth 
that to anybody that doesn't know it, it's a JPEG file. It just shows up as a JPEG, as a 2D image. But if they could read that hidden um, uh, hidden image and they knew what they were looking for, they could display it uh, with an additional uh, amount of depth. So I just copied the metadata from a, a photo taken with the camera uh, uh, over to uh, a, a single image uh, of a stereoscopic 3D pair. And then I then formatted my image, uh, my, my other eye image, and mm -hmm. interjected that back into the metadata and was uploading those onto Holopix. And, and your engineers got mad at me a little bit. I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say mad. They were confused. They were wondering where this was coming from. And they adapted the software at the time. We have we have an internal police, yes, yes, to make sure that uh, you know the, all the content looks uh, look you know doesn't doesn't hurt your eye. But I think I always encourage people to to try stuff. And as you say, now we have the tool to do exactly what you did, but uh, but you know, in, let's say in the in the kosher way. Right, and so yeah, you could you could just simply rename a file uh, with an underscore two x one before the dot jpeg, and that's a really easy way to do it. But you've been building out a whole software ecosystem as well. Uh, your is your Leia Studio in beta yet? Yes, so I think we released uh, we released last week. So the Lightfield Studio is the tool to convert uh, all kind of video content to the the Lightfield format. So I think in its current state, it has three different options. The first one is stereo to uh, the so-called four V or the multi view, um, you know, which is kind of the, the the standard the standard one where you you start with three D and you end up with multi view Lightfield. Um, this was already available, I think, from the time of, of hydrogen. We, we made some improvements. Uh, but the, the novelty is, uh, one is that conversion for a drone uh, or a 360 product shot, what we call the orbital footage. So that's a 2D, uh, that's a 2D video that where the camera is going to orbit around, you know, some kind of, some kind of a scene. Um, and automatically, you know, it's, it's pure, pure auto. You input the file, you press play. It's going to automatically set the uh, synthetic baseline, so the amount of depth for you, and it's going to find the, the best way to focus, uh, to focus the image. And it's going to create a gorgeous light field experience. So all automatically. OK, I, I have a, a question on that point, too. Um, because what if, I, what if I turn the table, literally? Uh, what if I use a turntable? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have I, I do a lot of macro photography and and what and I've got from um, uh, Cognosys they make the uh, uh, stack shot uh, automatic focusing rail but with that uh, kit they also have a uh, a rotational platform that I've used mm -hmm. for some video projects in the past mm -hmm. and I found very very useful. Um, what if instead the camera is completely static and I'm rotating the subject around yeah. the camera? Yeah. Would the software do the same thing? Yeah, it works perfect. It's actually the, the standard way of doing things because it's easier to find a turntable with a static camera than having the, the camera rotated around. So it, it works actually fine. And uh, we, we recently did a, a project with, uh, with Sotheby's uh, where we actually uh, you know scanned, uh, I think it was a dozen of their item for Asia Week, uh, the auction, right? And so uh, turntable, standard DSLR, processed all, all automatically with our software. And we turn it into not only a light field video experience, but a, an interactive one. So, you know, you could actually use your, your finger to swipe, you know, to rotate left and right, to zoom in. So the, the, the scene was behaving like a 3D object, except that it was photography, right? And, and the nice thing about photography is you can serve, again, all the way that light is going to reflect off the surfaces. It looks a lot more real than, uh, let's say, photogrammetry, right? And yeah, so the, the software works perfectly fine whether you rotate the camera or whether you rotate 
uh, the scene. It's just, it's just, this is honestly, this is the most exciting uh, thing that has come out of Leia in terms of content, probably in the, in the, in the last year. This, this produces some of the, the most gorgeous experience for, for life, for a light field that I've seen. I'm I'm getting excited now because I I I, I saw that the the, the uh, beta of the uh, of the Lightfield Studio uh, had dropped and I just I've been so busy with so many other projects right now I haven't had a chance to sit down uh, and experiment with it but with the the uh, input that you've just given me that if I can create I have an idea right now uh, David where if I if I take a uh, a beautiful flower and I cover it with spots of invisible ink that are all glowing and uh, and then highlight that with an ultraviolet flashlight to make it all glow and sparkle and put that in the middle of my little turntable thing mm -hmm. and shoot that as a video and then convert that to a light field image. I think I'm going to be blown away. So yes. I don't and, know. Then, and then you should post that on Leia stream, which is essentially the equivalent of the Leia pics, but for videos. And, you know, now we have a space where actually exactly for that, we want people to experiment and <laughs> use the tool and then share what they, they've done with the, with the community. So that would be, uh, you know, I, I will take your, I will take you up on this one, and I'll be looking out for your post. <laughs> I've I've got I've got a couple of uh, uh, Gerbera daisies that are uh, sort of wilting right now. I can give them another life before they're completely gone uh, this week. So uh, mark my words, David. You will see something from me uh, that that will make this work, and I'm pretty excited to to be experimenting with that. But uh, I'm experimenting with that on a device. So let's talk about your your new uh, Loom Pad that uh, you've produced a, a tablet that has, is it the same generation of screen, like the same technology that's in the red hydrogen or is it different in any way? Yeah, it, it's a second generation, uh, you know, screen. First of all, it, it's bigger. And, you know, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's not just bigger and, you know, a 2D display when it's bigger is just bigger. I think bigger and holding it about the same distance as the phone means that it's going to be a lot more immersive, right? So the fact that it's bigger, uh, and that has been optimized for that viewing distance means that you, you're going to be much more immersed, four times more so than, than the hydrogen because it's a four times bigger screen. Uh, and I think that makes a, a lot of difference. The other thing we've done is we've improved the, uh, the, the brightness. I think there were some, some complaint about brightness in 3D uh, of the hydrogen. So we've, we've doubled the brightness uh, since, since the hydrogen, plus the fact that it's a larger screen altogether produces more, more light. Um, and we've done a lot of refinements for, for visual comfort. Uh, you know, we, we've had a, we, we essentially took a lot of data uh, from, from, from the phone and we applied it to, uh, to improve our design. You know, and we're going to keep doing so in the next generations. I'm looking forward to seeing whatever those next generations are. I mean, I'm assuming that you don't just produce one product and hope the ecosystem survives forever. You're developing so many different stages. The software that we described, Leia Stream, Leia Pix, um, uh, the studio software that I can use to take any of my pre-existing 3D content. And you even did a test for me. I, I sent you a file that needed some alignment issues, and uh, and and it was something that I previously had to use very antiquated tools because they were free. Uh, honestly, I wasn't. Yeah, you can do really good 3D content, but normally it's so expensive, right. uh, or or so proprietary, or so convoluted and complicated that you really have to spend a week learning it. Um, and uh, you just basically snapped your fingers and sent it back to me. And and I want to take like that, uh, uh, like a, a Stemar, that 3D lens that I have, uh, or some of my other equipment. And I now want to take some, not just stills, uh, but video content and convert it into this format. Because I really think that if you do it right, 
And uh, you know what? There are so many 3D movies out there that don't do it right and get cinematic releases. Like they're just so gimmicky, like kicking into the screen. And, uh, and I think that turns a lot of people off from, yeah. from the idea, but I forget which, uh, 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 star Wars movie it was. It was one of the recent ones did a really good theatrical 3d release. Of course, there's the, uh, the benchmark of avatar and so many others. It's, it's really on the content creator to make captivating content. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I curate uh, my streams on social media. I mean, I only follow certain people on Instagram because they create nice stuff or they're friends and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt if they post an out-of-focus photo of a cat. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like when I look through um, uh, Leopix and that kind of content, I, I don't see a lot of my own inner circle of, of friends because, well, they, they never bought the hydrogen. Um, but... Hey, if you want to get an introduction into this, if I go back to the hydrogen, I looked it up on eBay. If you just want one to experiment with, they're like $130 for a used one. Uh, they're very inexpensive to just be introduced to the type of technology that Leia is uh, is producing here with this uh, these light field displays. And the loom pad, I find a very serviceable device. I mean, I've loaded up all of my apps. I took them right over from the uh, the hydrogen, just all my social media and everything else. Uh, the screen is brilliant and, and bright, and uh, it just functions as a very nice Android tablet. You're running um, Android 10 on there. And uh, from a previous discussion, I believe you stated that you're going to be doing updates roughly monthly, at least for the next little while in terms of uh, fixing any glitches, improving the software, UI performances, and just polishing everything based with user input, right? Yeah, that's correct. I think we've been known all throughout the hydrogen experience. We've been known to always, you know, try to uh, to provide, you know, the the next uh, next level of experience and you know doing all the updates. And I think we've been doing so and will continue to do so uh, forever. Um, you know, the you know you you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, we're not going to be limited to one device to promote an ecosystem. You know, of course, you know this is we have so many devices, you know, ideas and plans and so on. To, to mention only one, uh, you know, we have that uh, very big partnership with Continental, the German tier one for automotive. So we have big plans here, you know, to actually introduce the technology uh, to the cars. But introducing the technology doesn't mean just the display. We literally mean the entire ecosystem, right? So the kind of things we're talking about with the automotive industry is to turn the car into a hub of productivity, uh, productivity and entertainment playing games and also, you know, exchanging pictures and so on and so forth. So, you know, just being able to take pictures with your car, which, by the way, has great 3D cameras, you know, everywhere. Um, or, you know, take pictures with your uh, with your phone, send it to your car and so on and so forth. So, I mean, literally, you know, when that light field ecosystem is developed, it's going to be everywhere. Everywhere there's a screen or there's a digital interaction, might it be at your home, uh, at work, uh, in your car, in a public transit, you know, you're actually going to be experiencing it. That's that's really the, the vision that we're trying to to accomplish. And if you can, if you can kind of flesh out that vision a little bit, I, I mean, you mentioned automotive, and of course, we're in the mobile space with with different devices. Um, what are you most enthusiastic about? moving forward, like in terms of where this technology might go. And, and you don't have to, you know, spill any secrets or anything. I just, I, I want to know, because it, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we're, we're now, I think, at the precipice looking over this landscape of, of where we can travel to with this technology. Um, I, I can think of uh, military medical entertainment. I mean, there's so many different avenues of exploration here. 
Yeah, it, it almost changes, you know, every week, depending on, on the news that we get from different partners. But we designed the Loompad for, for commercial application in mind, you know, primarily. Uh, the, the first vertical was education. Um, education is huge, uh, you know, in terms of keeping the kids engaged, especially in this time of COVID. If you have kids at home, you know how challenging it is to keep them, uh, you know, on, on, on the Zoom or taking those classes. Uh, when I put my kids on on the loom pad with some kind of 3D dinosaur and, you know, learning about the prehistorical <laughs> age and something, I don't have that issue. They can, you know, keep there, you know, and, uh, you know, they will ask for this instead of, of the iPad, you know, that uh, that my wife has. Um, so e- education, obviously, is, 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 a, is a huge one. And it's closely related to gaming, which is some of the, the DNA that we've had, you know, traditionally with the App Store and so on. Um, we do so much work, you know, with hotels, uh, with retail. You know, I mentioned uh, the the partnership with uh, with Sotheby's, um, and and you know, the 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 new uh, techniques that we have uh, to live stream uh, data from drones. Uh, very frankly, for everything that is public safety, you mentioned, you know, government maps, um, but also aerial photography. You know, either let's say the what we're trying to promote. The consumer face of Leia is really the 3D photography. We're trying to bring something new uh, to photographers out there. And I'm personally very excited uh, you know, to, to promote these new tools uh, and to give uh, the community uh, new tools to, uh, frankly, just, uh, just, just, just talk, just uh, express themselves right, in a, in a completely fundamentally new way. Now, there's a lot of 3D technology that has been established from, uh, you know, previous products. Uh, let's talk about, um, you know, some of the 3D point-and-shoot cameras, the W1 and the W3 that have come out previously, and, and they would uh, they would have a 3D display on the back, sure, but um, they would create a uh, um, an MPO file, a .MPO file, and, uh, and so that was a format um, that a lot of people might uh, might support. In fact, I've got a friend of mine that I converted some of my images to that format so that he could, he's one of the few people that still has a functional 3D television, uh, and he loved them, uh, and, and what have you. But there are devices out there, legacy devices, before the Loompad, before the Hydrogen, that had some of these other formats as well, including the vintage lenses that I have and, and other things. Is the software that you're creating, the ecosystem, going to coalesce all of that, whether you've got an MPO file, however that's been formatted, whether you've got a side-by-side or a cross-view 3D image and be able to figure all of that out? Um, are you going to take all of the history of this viewing images with depth and embrace it and push it forward onto the platform? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the, the impetus. Um, I think we're trying to support you know, more and more formats. MPO, as I know, is on the list. Uh, we're also trying to support uh, uh, iPhone pictures, right? So all of these iPhone pictures that were created in, in portrait mode with a depth map I know the I know the team is working on it right now uh, to be able to visualize that on the on on the Loompad. So, um, oh, two two questions on that. Um, number one, I've I've just purchased the the iPhone 12 Pro uh, partly because, uh, and, and I'll get back to that. Is the uh, the hydrogen is uh, is Android eight and hasn't had any security updates in a very long time. Um, so the first part of my question is. Uh, how long do you plan to support the LoomPad in terms of making sure that it is a safe and secure device to have all of my passwords and social media accounts attached to mm-hmm. in case something comes up? Yeah, you know, as long as the company is standing, we will, we will, we will support. As I say, we have a we have very ambitious plans, you know, to roll out not only tablets but you know other devices and all the way to all the way to the car, and we will keep supporting and we will keep updating, you know, as long as and- we're here. 
And second, and I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, and second, um, I have a LiDAR device on this phone. Um, which can create a very accurate depth map or at least provide additional information to support a, uh, a 3D environment and to take it uh, beyond the two dimensions that obviously the phone can only display in two dimensions. And they're not using it uh, for the whole depth map uh, you know, uh, purposes. But if that information gets even better, more accurate, um, and Adobe, or not Adobe, uh, Apple is going to have their, uh, uh, their new RAW format uh, for, for their phones available. I don't know if it'll contain the LiDAR information. I have no access to that information. But um, if, like, you're just going to take everything that is being thrown at you in terms of information to provide uh, a good conversion experience into this new format, right? So if I were to be taking photos in that raw format on this phone of my family, because this honestly, uh, David, not knocking the loom pad at all, this just fits in my pocket. Mm. And, and earlier today we were, we were out, uh, uh, just doing a nature walk and we took some photos against some big rocks and trees and it was great. It was fun. Yes. The portrait mode blurred the background nicely, et cetera. Um, I would have much rather had a 3D experience with me at that time. So how are you just like on the edge of your seat waiting for all of this data and just give it to me, let me compute it and let me make some magic with it? Yeah, that's pretty much, you know, that's the, right now that's what we do, right? We, we, we try to accept all kind of data that come from, you know, an iPhone or another Android phone. And as soon as there's, uh, you know, depth data or stereo or multi-image, you know, we have the algorithm, at least at least in our labs, and then, you know, productizing it, you know, as, as we go, depending on the, you know, let's say on the impact, uh, making sure that we can accept and we can visualize all kind of, all kind of 3D. I, I do agree with you that, uh, the convenience of the phone, and and for that reason, I'm still using a hydrogen myself because I, you know, to this day, I like to take these these 3D pictures, uh, especially you know when you go on hikes with kids and so on. I think it's great. Um, so waiting for the next uh, phone uh, with a uh, with a with a Leia screen, I think our our job is to make sure that all that all that pictures you know that are being created with 3D anywhere you know by you know any device, we can actually visualize and we can share. And maybe to that, I would add, um, you know, our AI is getting so good uh, at, 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 you know, computing depth map that we can today, I don't know if you've tried on the loom pad, you can take a 2D picture and in about, I think, 200 milliseconds, like a fraction of a second, you convert it uh, to 3D. So it's going to hallucinate uh, a depth map, right, uh, just from nowhere. And then, I have seen some of those on Leopix, actually. And it, it, I mean, yeah, you can see it kind of jump a little bit, but it's it's an emerging technology and it's not doing too badly. Correct, exactly. And then, and you know, I think we will soon provide the means to uh, to edit those depth map, right? So I think the automatic conversion gets you uh, probably eighty percent of the way there. Some pictures are remarkably good, and then some other, you know, other ones fail. Uh, I think. This combined with a very quick way of editing, you know, on on the device, I think will get you uh, stunning results. So those are the kind of of things that we're uh, you know uh, that we're that we're working on. Again, our idea is that every every picture that you take out there should should be able to feel more more immersive to break the flatness of the screen. You know that barrier, fundamental barrier that you have with the digital content. You know, it's our job to to kind of break that. Now, I, I got to ask one technical question here because 
I, again, the hydrogen had a great screen, and so does the loom pad. Um, I noticed um, uh, what I, I, I scrutinize small things, and I noticed on the screen, and, and I, I'm assuming it's part of the tech. Um, there's tiny little black dots, maybe in between pixels or something, on on the display itself, and I hadn't noticed it previously on the hydrogen. I looked closely at the hydrogen, and I saw it too. Um, but at a normal viewing distance, I don't notice it. So it's just a curiosity uh, technical point of uh, of a question. What are those dots doing? Yeah, so this is the way that the light is going to interact with the nanotechnology. And you're right, they're, they're, they're not noticeable or they disappear very quickly at, at normal viewing distance. If you're going to come close or people even take, you know, like, a, like some kind of a, of, a, of a microscope or binocular, this is actually, you're seeing the light interact with, uh, with the nanotechnology and it leaves a tiny little shadow that we, you know, that we try to, uh, to, to hide and we try to, to, to eliminate. Um, uh, but this is uh, this this very same physics that causes this very slight uh, dot. Uh, we're going to use uh, very soon uh, to provide a third mode uh, of the display, which is a mix of two D and three D. And I think we'll you know talk more when we actually get to that release. We're probably one or two months out. We'll try it before Christmas as a Christmas present. Uh, so. Again, we can find very clever ways in, in which the nanotechnology can interact with light and create yet another another magic. So, so, so stay tuned. And I, I have to go back to one thing you said. Um, you mentioned uh, the next phone with a Leia light field display. You didn't say if you implied when. I'll leave that to you to clarify. <laughs> you know, obviously, cannot comment on on anything. It's my personal, <laughs> it's my personal, uh, it's my personal feeling that we we ought to be uh, in, uh, in 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 a smartphone. I, I hope so, and I I just I really hope that there is one phone that sells oodles of copies of that everybody loves, and you know what? Maybe initially the the people don't even utilize it for the three D display that is built into that, but once everybody starts to realize it's there, uh, and again that ubiquity of just having it there, and then realizing, okay, well, there's this great extra uh, extra level of immersion that this device can offer me. Um, I I think that that would be uh, it'd be I'd be I'd buy one. I would buy one. So. No, no, this is great. And it's exactly, I think, to, to close the loop with the very first question on the, the difference of the, the technology with other, you know, type of 3D and light field is, you know, I think you, you, you nailed it. The ability to turn the screen into, uh, you know, 2D uh, at the full resolution, essentially for, forgetting that there's anything special with the screen. I, I think this is key, right? I think this is key because your email, uh, your browsing experience, you, you, you want it, you know, in, in normal, you want it on a normal screen. And, and to date, you know, only Leia can offer that, you know, whether it's on a cell phone, a tablet, uh, or even in, in, in your car, right? All of our technology, wherever it is, will have that, that feature. So that I think it's exactly like you said, people can, can get used to it, right? You spend 99% you spend of your time in 2D, and then you start exploring those, those light field apps, and then you, you get used to them, and then more and more. You know, today on, on my phone... Um, I use Holopix or LeiaPix, you know, more than I use Instagram, just because, you know, I find this, I find it more interesting. It didn't used to be the case, but I, I you know, I grew into it. And I know a lot of users have had the same, the same journey. So it's our role to then guide more and more people through that same journey so that they can realize, right? And then I think there's something that happens in your brain. Um, I think even when I'm in the street today, you know, I, I, I see... I see the scenes differently. I say, hey, oh, that would be a gorgeous 3D picture, right? And, and you know, there's no, you know, I didn't think like that before, right? It might be 
the most mundane thing, right? It might be just a, just a water fountain or it might be, you know, just like any kind, you know, just a dirty bike at the side of the road, but, you know, somehow it's going to look great. Um, so I know it has changed my mind and I know it will change the mind of people. It's just a matter of getting enough people exposed to it, talk about it and, and you know, just create, continue to create that, that community. Well, thank you for trying to, uh, to well, uh, not trying to create the community, for creating the community and now promoting uh, the community in this 3D space. And, and I, I like to think that it has grown so much since the early days of hydrogen and it continues to grow now at the loom pad. And we have now two devices using the same ecosystem. And I just, uh, I hope and I'm rooting for more because I want more people to explore this extra dimension photographically, uh, cinematography can be, uh, you know, I don't want to say improved because classic films can't be improved. Don't go back and, and start converting your favorite film into 3D. Uh, it can be done, but, you know, it was intended to be seen in a specific mm -hmm. way. But if your intent is to see things in this extra dimension, then we now have the tools available to us. Where can we find those tools, David? Where can we find uh, any information from Leia, the projects and technology and the ecosystem and the loom pad itself? Yeah, so the loom pad, very easy. You go to www.loom-pad.com. And if so you that's want... L-U-M-E-P-A-D.com, right? Correct. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. If you want to learn about the ecosystem, the tools, the apps, and so on, and this is going to be at www.leyaloft.com. So Leia, like the princess loft in one word, dot com. So Leia, the princess, of course, this harkens back to uh, Star Wars uh, episode four, uh, where we saw uh, the hologram of, of Leia come out of R2-D2. And that's what you named your company after, right? So this is, you know, the, the reason why we named was the name that we gave the project uh, at HP Labs, you know, back, 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 back then. And then we, we essentially made, when we made the transition, we named the company after it. All right. Well, that's uh, that is some uh, uh, that that's that has to end up on uh, the Star Wars Wikipedia page if it's not there already. Uh, that popular culture reference uh, has gone a very long way to create this company. Well, not, it didn't create this company. It uses it as its namesake. Um, Thank you, David. This has been enlightening for me. Uh, you gave me extra information and I was really well versed in this already to begin with. Uh, and hopefully this will drive people to, uh, to take a look at the loom pad. And uh, uh, how much uh, does, does it sell for, if, uh, if you mind me asking? Yeah, it retails on the website at $9.99. Um, and then if you were a hydrogen user or active on, on, on Layapix, you've been receiving emails, I think, with some, with some discount code. So there's, there's one way or another you, you'd be able to, uh, to, to get that. If you're going to buy uh, a, a nice tablet that, that you're going to use for a long time that has some extra bells and whistles and features that you'll really enjoy, that's not an untoward price. You know, I, I, you get what you pay for. And in this case, you get an extra dimension. And uh, thank you for discussing that with us today, David, on Inside the Lens. Uh, anybody that wants to find the links to all the stuff that we discussed, uh, I will be putting together a, um, a post at InsideTheLens.com, which just redirects to Photo Geek Weekly dot com right now where the main podcast is uh and you can find all of the references uh to david and to uh where you can maybe find some of my 3d work as well and enjoy it by whatever means necessary you have because it's an enjoyable experience and with all of that said thank you david this has been fun thanks don